It's the Punk Rock Classrooms Podcast, Punk Rock Collaboration with Dave Schmidto. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Maybe you're in your bedroom teaching from your bed, your couch. Maybe you're in school with hybrid. Uh, I am Mike Earnshaw, principal extraordinaire from Lansing, Illinois. And this is Josh Buckley, a social studies teacher from Red Mountain High School in Mesa, Arizona. And we're bringing you that Punk Rock Classrooms podcast. We're glad you're here. We want to talk a little bit about DIY. We want to talk a little bit about bringing your passion, unity, all that good stuff to your classroom. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to have glue in your hair, you know, bondage pants, spiked up uh, mohawk, combat boots. It's all about having that punk rock mindset, bringing it to your 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 kids and your classroom and your teachers, you know, no matter what your role is. And like Josh said, just DIY passion and unity. And uh, we have another very special episode today. Yeah, this is this is number two that you and I have been in this the quote unquote booth together with with an interview. So why don't you go ahead and interview who our or uh, set up who our guest is for today, Mike? Yeah, so I'm very excited for uh, for our guest. You know, he's I. I've known him for a while and I was a guest on his podcast before. I, I feel that he was put here to help guide me, honestly. Yeah, I've learned so much from him um, in the short amount of time I've known him. So we've got Dave Schmidt with us. And What's up, guys? Not Dave? much. It, just a, really appreciative of you taking the time to be with us. And for those who don't know you, one, they've probably been living under a rock honestly. But if you want to kind of give us the rundown of, of kind of who you are, what you're, you know, what you uh, do, all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah. Brief, so brief history. So first of all, I am a Tim McGraw fan hanging out with a bunch of punk rockers today. So hey, we'll I am we'll I'm loving this. I was going to uh, bring that up later. I was going to bring it up later. So. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there now so people can make some choices as to whether or not they want to just put this in like five speed, four speed, just get this thing over with. But no, I, I am first and foremost, a father of four awesome kids. Uh, I live in the great state of Michigan, where the leaves are already starting to change. And my, my, home, good, my home man. state. My home there state. There you Dave. go. There you go. Um, I am entering my 21st year in formal education. I've been a, a teacher, assistant principal, athletic director, a middle school principal, an elementary principal, an assistant superintendent curriculum instruction. I uh, am also uh, a full-time professor of educational leadership at Central Michigan University. Hey, and, uh, I spent a year at Central. Boom, Look fire at up that. chips. That's Look at right. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was actually my alma mater for my undergrad, right. so I feel like I've gone full circle. I also get to do a lot of fun things on the side, uh, like talk to you guys, write some books, speak a little bit, and as Mike said, you know, sometimes just poke the bear. I like to just walk <laughs> into the room sometimes and say, hey, let's talk and then walk away and see what happens. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Nice. So I, I got I to gotta do a little Michigan talk first. I got to do a Let's little do Michigan it. talk. Where, what, for, where'd you grow up? Where, where'd you grow up? So I, actually, I grew up as a Navy brat. So okay. crazy story, but I, I always grew up on the beaches um, where it was warm and 75 <laughs> degrees and life was good, palm trees, pineapples, and then came up here to Michigan to go to college because I could get in-state tuition here. My dad joined the Navy uh, when he lived in Michigan. So okay. I was able to come back nice. to Michigan and uh, been stuck here really ever since I spent uh, a few years of my career working as a turnaround principal down in Florida, but okay. got an opportunity to come back up here and 
Here I am. Awesome. Yeah, I grew I grew up in Saginaw. I went to I went I am to, in Grand Blank, so we are just down the go. road. I actually went to Arthur Hill High School for oh, two years. Hey, man, so look I, at that. <laughs> look at that. Small I have friends who went to Arthur Hill. This is crazy stuff. I, I grew up in a little town. Ta- like I went to college at SVSU. Okay. Uh, I went one year at Central and then moved back into the, the valley and, and, and went to Saginaw Valley. And then uh, but yeah, I had friends at, at Arthur Hill and uh, Heritage and you know that scene. I grew up I went to I grew up in little town. Merrill, Michigan is where I was. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. So I got country in my heart. Like I may not listen to it, but I I used to get stuck behind tractors on my way to school. So I I know how that goes. That's fantastic. So Dave, can you tell us, I mean, you've got a couple books out. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the the newest book you've got out and sort of like, what's the gist of it? What are you trying to get out there and what are you trying to share with with educators? Yeah. So the, the name of the newest one is making assessment work for educators who hate data but love kids. And it's funny, you know, before you started recording, you talked about the fact that you can go back and edit this. And if I happen to slip and use some <laughs> profanity, you could drop it. So I just used a four letter word to a lot of people by throwing data into this conversation. So if you need to edit that out, feel free. Cause I know in a lot of schools, you hear that word and it just turns people off, man. I I've as a school leader, I've gone into many a staff meetings, brought up those four letters and I get a reaction that's similar to if I had just dropped the F-bomb in front of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, people will roll their eyes, they'll, they'll sigh, walk out. I, I, I've jokingly said before that I wouldn't be shocked if I went into a staff lounge or a staff bathroom and found data scrawled on the stalls because <laughs> people hate that word. Um, but that, that's the essence of the book. It's trying to demystify that word. I wrote an entire book about assessment and not once did I talk about percentiles or stay nines or scale scores <laughs> or any of that other garbage that we often used to convolute what data really means. So I've, I've, I want to, like, I know we're going to have a lot to talk about. I, w- I want to kind of drill down into this a little bit. I want to, I want to do this data talk. I'm going to get the data out of the way, right? Like Let's do it. let people know. So we're, you know, essentially how do you, and I'm not trying to tell you like, Hey, read the book to me right now, but how do you like, how are you trying to get, so Mike has said several times on our podcast, he is not a numbers data guy, right? Yeah. I love, I like, I love looking at like demographic data and mm-hmm. like that sort of data. I don't love test data, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the stuff where like my brain goes, uh, so how do you, you said demystifying data. What's your, how do you make that happen? How do you make it palatable to guys like Mike and I who are like, oh. <laughs> I'll start off with, honestly, the, the people I start with are the Mikes of the world. Because I think it's Mike's by position, not necessarily Mike incarnate, but the the people that get to walk around schools all the time with a suit and a clipboard in their hand who have used data to slap labels on teachers and kids. And I think that is why data, data, however we want to use it, has become so horrendous in so many schools. We've used data as a predictor. Um, almost like it's a scientific methodology. And we use, we use assessments to predict future assessments. We use assessments just to throw a label on a kid, to throw a label on a, 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 an, an educator, as opposed to using information to simply plan our next steps. There's a, there's a terminology in sociology. It's called moral or ethical fading. I, I don't know if you're familiar with this term or not, but the, the basic premise is oftentimes in our work lives, we get ourselves to the point where we justify our, our actions and our reactions because we get so overwhelmed. Things just get too big, too convoluted that we fast forward. And then in essence, we, we lie and we falsify our results, but we justify it. Prime examples, 
when you go and you sign mortgage documents and you get 50 pages and you're supposed to go through and read them all and you sign every page saying you've read them all, and that's <laughs> falsifying or that's moral ethical failing. You justify just your lying. Why. Right. <laughs> or, you know, the Bloodborne Pathogens video we all have to watch when we have it going in the background and we just go and take the right. quizzes and you have to certify that, yeah, you watched it, but you justify it because you say it's okay. Far too often in our schools, and our classrooms, we do this moral or ethical fading where we justify falsifying data because we're so overwhelmed. And oftentimes we falsify data in, in the affirmative. We say, all my kids got it. Everything is going great because we as administrators, I'm looking at me and Mike, put this obligation or this requirement on teachers that at the end of the year, they need to come to us and prove that everything was perfect and everything was great. We tell you, you have to come show us your data to prove the amazing job that you did all year long. So of course we get this amazing data that's glowing and every kid is off the charts and they're all growing. And then we get the state assessment data or AP scores and it doesn't match up. And that's because we've put this false premise in teachers' hands to say, everything has to be good. It all has to be great or else. As opposed to saying, let's just use it to be transparent, to learn, to grow. And I put the challenge out at administrators. I say, if you want your students to be learning and growing and you wanna know what they know, Quit asking for that stupid data at the end of the year and get in the classrooms every single day. If you can't tell every single day whether or not a kid is growing, then you've missed the mark. Obviously, it's not that important to you. No, that's, Dave, that's so true because our, my school's in the, that exact position. Our local assessment, you know, we have NWA map. We've had it for a few years now. Our growth, I mean, it's just phenomenal. Like blowing the other, not saying anything bad about the other schools in our district, but I mean, for for a while we were showing the slowest growth. Now our, we're just skyrocketing, right? Mm -hmm. And then we take um, IAR, which last year we didn't because of the COVID, but you know, the year before that, we were pumped up. The teachers were excited. They're like, oh, you know, we're killing it on map. We're gonna get so all of our groups how it worked in illinois met their benchmark mm -hmm. except for one group I give you guys one guess to guess which group did not meet their benchmark who do you think it was well, i know i know the answer so <laughs> hey you got you got a small sample size it's not going to grow it's not going to improve and they, have, indivi story, they yeah. have individualized plans for it yep. anyway right but they're yep. taking the same assessment grade level as everyone else mm -hmm. so it's already unfair so but they were two points away from that mark. So it's not like they were way down here. I mean, they were right there. So our state puts underperforming label on us. And now that's what my school, it, you know, is designated underperforming. And it's, you know, I know the teachers took a blow when we had to come, you know, the superintendent came in and school board members came in and they, they had a faculty meeting, like, we know that you're working hard. And, you know, I was able to say to the staff, like, look, this doesn't mean anything to me. Like I know what it says and I know what the public's going to see, but I'm in your classrooms every day. And anyone who knows me, listens to the podcast, follows me on Twitter. I mean, I literally am in these classrooms every single day and I know what's going on. Like you said, like I see the change in these kids to, to be better humans, to, to be confident in themselves to go out and change the world and how to problem solve and collaborate. And isn't that what we're here to do? Not to, to score well on a test. I mean, we have to per se, but it's, and it's funny. So we got put in this, um, this group, you know, so we had to work with our local 
uh, region of Office of Education. You know, we have all these grants. We're, we have to do like a second school improvement plan because of our underperforming status. Um, lots of hours we were put into to creating this plan. And we were sitting in a meeting at the regional office. And one of my teachers, uh, fourth grade co-taught teacher, she's the gen ed portion. She like looks at me and she's like, can't, because they're asking for proof. You, know, you need to show us the proof. You need to show us the data, what you're working on. She looks at me. She's like, can we just show them all the post-its that you leave us every time you come into our room every day? And like, because that's the things that, that are mattering that we see the changes made, but it's almost like higher ups in the States are making us jump through hoops. So if that makes sense. If I yeah, went there, a long there's there. a lot in what you just said that I, I can unpack and cut me off at any time, but you, you kind of dropped some bombs there. And some of it, I, I, I want to say just scream that stuff from the rooftops and some of it I'm going to push back a little bit because let me, let me start by saying 99% of what you said, 100% spot on you and I are totally in sync. And that's, those are some numbers. 99.9. That means a lot, Mike. So right. we are, we're totally, <laughs> we're, we're there. However, um, I want to say something that I, I, I also want to frame in some context. Okay. I am not opposed to big end of the year tests. I'm not, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, the only reason we have these big end of the year tests, whether it's an AP test or a state assessment or the SAT or ACT, is because some people in suits, some bureaucrats, some politicians looked at educators and said, they're not telling us the truth. They're not really assessing their kids and really pushing them and telling the full story. So they stepped in and said, we'll take over and we'll do it for you which is a horrible reality right. that's awful. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily think that the answer to all this is less testing. I think if we got into the practice of assessing our students regularly and creating a system or structure that allowed for full transparency and trust without punitive measures, without accountability equaling discipline, where teachers could say, Johnny and Susie don't get it, but here's what I'm gonna do about it without having to cover up that Johnny and Susie don't get it, then I think we would be good to go. Yeah. Instead, we go out and we pay these third-party vendors that uh, you live you know, in, in the Midwest. You've got a third-party vendor who's stationed out in the Pacific Northwest providing an assessment that you give to your kids three times a year. It scales the kids on something called a RIT score, a Roush right. unit, which I would challenge your teachers in your building to say, and how do you raise a kid's RIT score by one point? What is a RIT point? How do you raise it by two points? <laughs> on this big state assessment that you gave that you missed – by two points. How do you raise a kid by two points? Do you understand that scale? And that's the issue is that we start using assessments that we don't understand on scales that don't matter to educators to say, we're going to use that to change practice. And it doesn't equate. I would challenge you. Yeah. Those sticky notes, that is assessment that has right. tremendous value. Right. And I would say that is good quality evidence of student learning. And if we could somehow demonstrate that, yeah, there are administrators out there just like you, there are educators out there, just like Josh going out and assessing their kids all the time to plan the next steps, then eventually we're not going to have to worry about Betsy DeVos filing a waiver to say we don't have to have these state assessments anymore because we're right. taking it on our own. But until we get to that point where we start treating assessment like it's integral and it's a part of instruction as opposed to this extra thing we do, it's not going to happen. Not so yeah. true. And it's and, like, it, it is yeah. an extra thing we do. Go ahead, to, Josh. To, I mean, to run with that, like, I, like I've been in that position before. Like, we had a, a district benchmark test, right? Like, a and I teach social studies. So, mm -hmm. and essentially, it's like, do your kids memorize some facts? Cool. At the, at the end of the semester, do they remember 
this person did this specific thing? And did you say it like we were saying it in the test? Or did you say it like you're an individual who gives a test, right? So not a great test, but we were, you know, I was talking to our, our director around it, our social studies director at the district level. I'm in a pretty big district. We've got, you know, uh, over 60,000 kids, 84 schools, right? And so I, I, I said like, but I don't understand, like we have this data that we're getting and we had a county assessment as well. And I said, how am I supposed to use this county assessment? I don't know. I won't ever see the questions. I won't ever see like what it is. And then she's like, well, let's look at some of the questions together, right? First, I'm never supposed to look at them, but we got to look at them together. And I say, well, how is this a question that even shows that, it, that X, Y, or Z? And how am I supposed to use that as a teacher later? And she goes, well, it should help you with your planning. I'm like, but I don't get it until July. And these kids are already gone and this test will be different next year because it's a bank of a hundred questions that rotated through. So how do we, so my question is, right, like we're living in this world right now. What is, Dave, what is a good assessment? How do we, what are the assessments that, that you think that, that we should be using um, to, to measure or work or like help us plan during the, during that year? What is um, that? What should that look can like? Can of worms opened, my friend. Right? I know, I know. But, it, but that, that is the question. So first of all, I, I am also a huge believer in standards-based instruction. I, I need to put that yes. out there as well. And for people that don't quite understand what that means, it's, it's a simple concept. A standard is only standard if it's standard, which yep. means we all interpret the standard the same way. Otherwise, it's no longer standard. Otherwise, <laughs> right. it's just a bunch of ghibli gook. What I have seen in literally hundreds of school districts across this country is we have amazing people doing their best to provide value to teachers, trying to provide support for teachers by creating documents, assessments that are going to be there to help teachers, curriculum apps and pacing guides and common assessments. But because we have one or two people that get to wear fancy clothes and sit in an office that create these assessments, they don't necessarily get the reality of the standards. They're not living the work. And so they create these assessments with a false dichotomy. Like you said, yeah. they create these assessments where, let's be honest, we're giving kids A's when they copy off of us, but we would give them an F if they copied off their peer. We're simply saying, you copy everything that I said, everything that I tell you, put it on, spit it back out of me, you're going to get an A. Right. The yeah. standards stop being rinse and repeat, parrot after me, after first grade. Recall and simply spit it back at me ends in first grade in every subject area especially in social studies, especially in science, especially in math and language arts. But that's what all those common assessments look like because we want to have something that's very binary, very quick. So we can use the term fidelity, which is another bastardized (laughs) term in education. So we can compare teacher to teacher, rank and sort teacher to teacher and assess teacher to teacher relatively quickly. So we come up with assessments where it's a right or wrong answer, which that's not how, honestly, the state assessments They're they're actually very well written, but they're not written at that level, which is why we get shocked because we give a lot of these black and white answers uh, questions in our classrooms. And then students have to go take these assessments at the end of the year that don't match up, that are actually written to evaluate, analyze, synthesize, as opposed to regurgitate and spit back what your teacher just told you. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, I mean, that's good. So I'm going to, we want to, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I know Mike and I wanted to kind of talk about your sort of like 
you know, you, you've been on a couple podcasts recently and Mike wants to ask you a question about that. But before we get there, I want to, one last sort of assessment question. If yeah, I, one, I, I have one last question too. So two <laughs> okay, more. Sorry. Good. Two more assessment questions. We are now in the middle of this virtual world. And before yep. we started, I said, I, I had this question for you. Like, what does assessment, what should it look like? As a, as a teacher, you know, as a classroom teacher myself, like I have to come with grips with the fact of like in my classroom, I can give kids a test and I control the, the testing environment, mm -hmm. right? I know if mm -hmm. a kid is looking up an answer, I know if a kid is talking to someone, I know if a kid, you know, like those are the sorts of things I do. So my, my assessment is under those parameters, right? But sure. now that yeah. we're in this virtual world, right? Some of us are teaching remotely. I'm going to move into a hybrid option in a couple of weeks where I see kids twice a week. What are the assessments? What should, or what do you think assessments should look like in that world where I'm not controlling the testing environment? Right. Yeah. So again, multiple layers to this. And I know we're on a, a short time frame here, so I'll try to make it short and sweet. But in, in my day job, the one that pays my insurance premiums, <laughs> I, I teach college kids online mm -hmm. and I have to take college kids and get them to demonstrate mastery. I have to assess them completely in a virtual world. So I, I understand that pain. I, I guess the easiest answer I can give is I don't give multiple choice, true, right. false questions, anything like that. Uh, quite honestly, I, again, I go back to the standards and say, what, what does the standard say? And in an AP world, you're dealing with a lot of analysis, whether it's analyzing text yeah. or synthesize or defend or create. There is, in order to truly analyze information, students have to be given explicit information that they can then analyze. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you simply going to a kid and saying, here's the answer that Johnny came up with for this question. Defend it, prove it, refute it, explain it. Create a video that simply talks to me and explains your reasoning, explain Johnny's reasoning, refutes Johnny's reasoning, whatever the standard asks the kids to do, that's what you ask the kid to, to do for you. Not just tell me you can find information. Because honestly, we, we say all the time, we're preparing kids for the real world. And right across the room from me where I'm sitting, I've got, I, I'm gonna have to whisper her name or I'll spell it A-L-E-X-A. Because if I say it, she'll start talking to me and she'll start giving me a bunch of answers that I'm not asking for right now. Right. But that's the world our kids live in. They live in a world where they can talk to their watch, they can talk to Echo, they can talk to all these things, they give me the answer. That's what we do. Yep. You just right. literally, sitting yeah. in Arizona, asked me a question on the right. other side of the country and asked yeah. me to give you an answer. That is the real world. Mm -hmm. that is, there is nothing wrong with that. We have to stop treating kids and telling kids that it's cheating when they do that, because that's what we all do. Right. And, and like, I'm in this environment right now where I tell my kids, like, I know that you have the, I know that you have the PDF for what we talked about this week. Yeah. I know that you have access to my video. So we're doing short answers. And here's why we're doing short answers. My, you know, my, my general, I teach AP economics and regular economics. And I go like, here's why we're doing short answers. I have to be able to see that you can synthesize the information we talked about, right? Like I have to mm -hmm. give you some data and you have to be able to tell me what you learned from that data or that you can graph this using that yep. data. So it's a little harder than going, hey, you know, my son is, my son's in fourth grade. And right now, whenever he has to spell something, for his online classes. He doesn't let like the red line tell him how to spell it. He literally goes, you know, he goes, Hey, Alexa, right. Alexa, will you, will you spell this for me? And yeah. you know, it spells it out for him. And I go like, that's great. I couldn't do that. I had to go look in a dictionary. Awesome for you. You did the shortcut. So should, you know, like maybe we shouldn't assess the kid on whether they spelled that right. If they can just ask anybody how to do, you know, those are the questions, right? Yeah, and you know, the, the reality is SAT, ACT, AP tests, are more regularly being scored by AI right now than they are people. Artificial intelligence knows how to decipher what a child was 
implying or what, what they were inferring in, in, in their writing. So yeah. that's, that's okay. It, it really is okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. assess, assess what they need to know. There's a difference between memorization and learning. Right, right, and right. I, the, I'll take you back in time to another book I wrote, the first book I wrote. You know, we've heard since we were five years old that once you learn how to ride a bike, you never forget. But if I were to ask you right now, tell me, how do you ride a bike? Could you do it? Could you sit back and regurgitate and tell me the steps that you take to ride a bike? Every single thing that you have to know, it, that's difficult to do or to why. drive a car or <laughs> how you even got home today or any of that, but you can do it. There's a difference between doing, knowing, learning, and memorizing. We have to start right. simply assessing memorization. And, and, you know, we talk, like, I always, you know, I think Mike and I have talked about this before. Like, if you need to know how to fix something, you can look it up on YouTube, right? YouTube like, is the answer. That's you right. know, I have, you know, our refrigerator, the ice machine stopped working on it. Okay, well, I, like, here's what, here's what my knowledge, like, can I watch that? understand it and apply it right like that's the that's the test the test isn't do i remember what that part in it is called absolutely right absolutely and ap test sat test ac test here in the state of michigan we have something called the m step it's our big state assessment what they try to do is they try to make these tests these assessments as equitable as possible which means they understand that different kids come from different situations so they don't ask questions about johnny sitting on the beach and what's the temperature of johnny sitting on the beach because they know that half the kids have never seen the beach and they don't have that Mm -hmm. context so they tell the kids it's a hot day for johnny sitting at the beach which of these temperatures most likely reflects a hot day they don't ask the kids to memorize uh, right. temperature gradients. They give them the information and simply ask kids to analyze. But our teachers don't necessarily understand that. Therefore, they don't teach that way. They teach memorization because that's what we all did as kids. Well, that's the thing. A lot of them, they teach the way they were taught. You know, Absolutely. That's, and that's unfortunate, you know. And um, Adam Welkman and Ryan Sheehy used to have a podcast, the Ask Adam mm-hmm. Ryan show. And, and one of them, I think it was Adam said, if you can ask Alexa a question and she can tell you the answer, what are you like wasting your time teaching oh. it for? Because, and honestly, the, we all have these computers in our pockets. And that's the thing, like, I don't fault my son for, you know, just wanting to, to jump on here to get the answer. Because that's the reality now. It's never going to, it's not going away anytime uh, soon. Th- think, about, think about how transformative it would be. Instead of spending money every single year, just upgrading Chromebooks and all that. If in every single one of your classrooms, you put one of those devices. And again, I can't say her name because she'll start talking. Right. <laughs> Would that change the way that teachers taught? If that was in the middle of every single classroom and it was available for students to access at their whim, would it Actually, change what we presented to our kids? I know for a fact it would, because I have a few teachers who about a year ago, two years ago did that. Cause I brought that up at a staff meeting. I'm like, if, if you can ask Alexa a question and she can answer it, you know, so a couple teachers went out cause how much can you can get an Alexa or small one for what? 90 bucks. Mm-hmm. They bought them. They put them in the room. And I was sitting in a classroom where a kid walked up, asked the question, got the answer, jotted it down. And he's not going to get faulted for that. Because the answer is right there. So, so now that's the next layer right is, there, though, right? Exactly. So now the next layer is for the teacher to observe that and say, ooh, maybe that wasn't a good question for me to ask if he yes. can just go to the device and get it. Yes. And I want to start asking doing. questions so that the student actually has to ask a peer or analyze right. the reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. all right. Well, go for it, Mike. What's your, what's your, what's your, <laughs> you wanted to, I'm, I'm letting you change the subject now. Let, here we go. There's our transition. It was great. That's was a good beautiful. segue, man. You right? guys are rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the other day, Dave, you put a tweet out saying, and I've said this to you, you know, before, and I think this is why I was so drawn to you because 
when I first discovered you over a year ago or so, I can't remember how long we've been, we've been talking for you. Um, you say what's on everyone's mind, most educators mind and you know, your book, bold humility. I mean, when I, I think I was a page or two in and I was just like, Holy shit, this book was written for me. So there it is, Josh. I might have to edit that one. But <laughs> no, that one's it's the F word I had to edit out. I think this, the- <laughs> I'm, but the book, I'm like, this is exactly what I've been waiting for to read. And you know, it's you know, if being in my role as an administrator, like I'm supposed to know everything about data. I'm supposed to be an expert in it. I'm supposed to be an expert in teacher evaluations. I'm, you know, there's all these little things that we're not supposed to say or admit. And here you are, you've had all of these roles in education, you know, um, all the way up to, to district level, you're a professor. Um, and, but you don't see anybody else in your position, not many out there just saying it how it is, like saying the things that most people are thinking like, yeah, we need to challenge that. We need to change that. Um, and so your quote was, you know, I'm fine with being that guy, but there's got to be a next step, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is that next step? Like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want to see happen from that? Not just, hey, here's Dave, the guy who says what's on his mind. And Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't like being Dave, the guy who says what's on his mind. You know, there, there is a reason. I've had a lot of jobs. <laughs> you know, it, it's one thing to say, man, you've been in the same place for 21 years and you just say what's on your mind, what's going on. But oftentimes when you say what's on your mind, it's not always what everybody's comfortable hearing. You know, it goes right. back to that, that, the concept I was talking about early on where in schools, we've created these environments where we are supposed to only celebrate the positives. You know, even talking about like feedback with kids, we're only supposed to, to build them up. It's the soccer trophy mentality. Everybody gets one. We're all a bunch of winners. As opposed to saying, well, we've got some things to work on. I think, I think growth comes from dropping the facade and saying, I've got work to do. I've got things I've got to change. It doesn't come from wagging your finger and saying, you've got to change. It comes from sitting back and saying, I've got to change. And the reality is a lot of what I talk about is stuff that I... I did not necessarily do right the first time I had the opportunity to do it right. right. You know, the first time I was a, a principal, there were a lot of mistakes I made and I tried to refine those. And I talked to a lot of people about those mistakes I made. And then I tried to do better in my next principalship. And then when I was in that situation, when I was a turnaround principal. There was, there were a lot of mistakes I'd made, but I started to learn from those. And I got myself to a position where I could start to own those and acknowledge them and say, man, here's some of the stuff I wish I would have done. And I'm hoping that my willingness to admit my own flaws encourages other people to say, oh, yeah, I, I've made similar mistakes and there's, there's hope. I can do something about it. I don't want to just blast people and say, right. everything sucks. The system is broken. The house is on fire. Run. It's here's something that is not working as efficiently as it could. And here's something we can do about it. You know, I'll go geek again and start talking John Hattie. John Hattie, you know, the guy that did that huge meta analysis a decade ago, he came out with all of, uh, uh, all of these things that have effect sizes and the yeah. things that impact student learning. What he came out with, his, his research actually came out and said 95% of what we do in schools works. 95% of what we do in schools works, which is amazing. Yeah. But it's also what causes a lot of turmoil for people like me because it's very hard for people to shift and change and go from it works to it can work better because they look at it and say, no, it's already working. Why do I need to change? 
And I'm, I don't try to challenge people and say it's not working. I simply say, but is it working to its maximum potential? Is it reaching every subgroup? Is it working yeah. for every kid? Because there's a difference between teaching each and teaching every. And right. my focus is teaching each kid, not just teaching every kid. So, so to kind of, to kind of run with that, I'm going to, I want to, I want to push a little bit. so you said like, there are things, there are things that you've done that you, that you would do differently. Can you, what's something that, what's, what's, what's something you would do differently? You you get out the hook when you've had enough, because I can go on and on and on. (laughs) I'll tell you the, the, when I first became an administrator, I fell trapped to what I think a lot of administrators fall trapped to. I became guilty of thinking I got this job because of how amazing I was in the classroom. And my role is to create a bunch of itty bitty schmitties. My role is to go out there and create a bunch of people that do things the same way that I did them or the same way that I want them done. And I walked around and I I truly went through my filter of here's what I did in my classroom. It worked for me. So you need to do the same things I did, whether it was roles and procedures and practices or actually pedagogical tricks and tactics, mindsets. I used my role to try to manipulate people into thinking the same way I did, or at least to behave the same way that I did. And that is horrific. I spent all my time trying to get people to buy in to my mindset as opposed to getting people to weigh in and tell me what their needs were as opposed to standing beside them and going and knocking down the wall so they could do their jobs and recognizing that teachers are the change agents. I went in thinking I was supposed to be the difference maker. And that's, that's awful. That's horrible. But I know there's a lot of people that walk in, especially new principals that walk in and say, I'm here to make a difference. Or I can take you to my second principalship. When I got brought in to become a turnaround principal, I allowed my boss to introduce me to a staff and say, he is here because he is a turnaround principal. Now think about that in the midst of the staff that is there. And I'm introduced to them as the turnaround guy. Yeah. Now every move I make is what you're doing is wrong. And what Schmidt says is going to be right. He was brought in to change everything. And I allowed that to happen. I allowed it to happen. And I played into it which is awful. But I know that that's something that other people have done as well. I know teachers do it in their own classrooms. Oh, for sure. It's worked for me as a kid. This is the way, I, look at me, I'm successful. So if you want to be a teacher just like me, follow my steps. That's <laughs> exactly I, what we're trying to present, present for kids. And it's I think so Mike, true, and, Mike I mean, and I have talked about that a couple different times, right? Like this idea of like, you're like, we're not experts, right? Like I know I'm not an expert in the, I'm an expert in my classroom with me and what I do, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I can't get better. Right. And, but that also doesn't mean I, I can walk into another classroom that I have no idea about the subject and go like, this is exactly how you should do your, your, you know, your, uh, right. this class, right? Like a but, third grade class should be like this. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I feel like we've gone full circle here because this is that, that opening conversation we started with as well as how we present this false dichotomy where we feel like it's our responsibility to act like we have all the answers all the time and not to present any weaknesses or you'll have administrators like me that take Mrs. Jones or Mrs. Smith and say, look how, look at the amazing job they're doing. We put somebody else on a pedestal thinking it's going to elevate everybody, but all it does is cause that person to start receiving the daggers and they become the pet and it deflates the culture as opposed to bringing everybody up. I mean, I could go on and on about the stuff I've done. That was just a mess. Well, it's funny because all those things you mentioned I've done in, in my <laughs> first years as a principal, but the situation we're in, we're completely remote learner. You know, the students are at home, the staff's in the building. And, you know, Josh said it, so I stole his line uh, from over the summer. I told our staff at the beginning, this is everyone's first year. What we're doing right now is year one, because none of us know how to do this right. I was in a conversation with some people earlier this week. Um, it was a, a group of administrators, and we were, we were talking about this similar thing. And somebody brought up the idea that 
all their teachers are like first year teachers again. And there was a good debate that ensued when another administrator pushed back and said, well, I, I don't think that's fair because when you're a first year administrator, you find the experts that you are a first year teacher, you can find the expert to lean on. You've got that mentor, you've got that guide. And right now it doesn't feel like that. So I chimed in and this, we're a bunch of punk rockers here, so I can, I'll, I'll use a bad analogy, but I said, it's almost like, not necessarily like we're all first year teachers or we're just starting. I said, it's almost like all teachers right now have been dropped in the middle of puberty again. <laughs> there are changes going on right now that they don't understand. They're not sure what's happening, but yet they're still looking at like, man, that kid already has a mustache. How did he get that? And that kid's like, I don't know. My voice just changed last night. I don't know what happened. And all these things are happening, but we're still looking around and we're still comparing like who's farther along and who's yeah. not, but how did that happen? But as opposed to going and asking the questions, it's really awkward and we still don't want to. And we, we want, we want the answers. We want to know what's happening, but just like I've got a 14 year old, he doesn't ask me anything. He's got all the answers already. And that's kind of how some things are still happening. So we have to just continue to sit next to people and lean in and say, Hey, I know what's happening. I'm here for you. Uh, You don't have to come to me and ask for help, but just know that I notice and I'm here. And we have to provide support, not answers right now. Right. I, th- I think you're right. Like, you know, talking if, you know, my wife is a high school principal and, you know, all of our, our high schools are trying to figure out how do we schedule teachers to do remote? Who, mm-hmm. Who's going to do remote? Who's going to do modified? The kids who chose one or the other, how are we doing all that? And it's super complicated. And I, I know like all of these, you know, all those administrators are sitting together and going like, I don't know that I have an answer. Right. So like all you can do is, sit together and hash it out. You know, I, th- I think what we're seeing is we're seeing people realize that maybe the way that we've always done it, maybe the silo that we put ourselves in sometimes as teachers or administrators where we don't go seek out, right? Like maybe that's busted a little, maybe those walls are breaking a little bit. And I think that is, that is my biggest hope. I, I had somebody earlier this week ask me, so, so Dave, when this is all over, what do you hope changes and what do you hope stays the same? And my honest answer is I hope that administrators and leaders right now are learning some very critical lessons. So I'll use, for example, the district that my kids go to. It's an amazing district, amazing people. A month ago, I decided that my four kids were going to go back to face-to-face. We were given that option via survey. Two weeks ago, the district said, that's not going to be an option anymore. It's going to be a hybrid. Last week, they came to us and said, that's not an option anymore. Everybody's going fully remote. Well, here in Michigan, the data hasn't changed. The information hasn't changed. The science hasn't changed. The thing that has changed is they started listening to different people now. First, it was a bunch of administrators that sat in a room that made a decision. Then the teacher stepped up and said, we're not comfortable with this. Then they started talking to parents and getting their input. And they realized, okay, we don't have enough to work with. So we're going to make a change again. Imagine how much further ahead they would have been had they just got the stakeholders in the room originally. So they could have spent all of this time instead of changing their mind, coming up with solid plans to move forward. Again, it goes back to if you get people to weigh in, you don't have to get them to buy in. I hope that that's the thing that changes. When we're talking about assessment, get people to sit around and discuss what it looks like as opposed to being critical and putting their guards up and feeling judgmental. Just have conversations. That's what I hope happens. Right now, schools are the talk of the town, man. Everybody's talking about what's happening in schools. We've been begging for this day. We've been begging for teachers to be superheroes and to have a platform to speak. Use your voice and keep talking. We've got parents telling us what's best for their kids. Let's listen. We've got admit we've got um, politicians coming to us and saying what do you think is best holy crap this is an opportunity speak up that's what i hope happens you know i I, I would agree with you josh and i've talked about this because you look at school board meetings you look at things like that you're having more teachers speak up on behalf of what they know needs to change and i think in the past 
you know, you would look at districts and you'd have, you, you always got your select few in, 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 in every district that is never afraid to speak up. But now you've got those teachers who you've never heard from before. I've got teachers coming up to me who've always just kind of been like, oh, everything's great, you know, and if you, they need something, you kind of hear it through somebody else, like so-and-so was kind of struggling with this. People are speaking up and they're not just like, hey, you know, I think we need to do this. I mean, they're being showing their passion of this is what we need and this is what's right for our kids. And I agree with you. I hope that that is something that that it doesn't go away because Josh knows, I mean, being, you know, part of the, you know, his union president and, and things we've talked about using your voice to make the change and nothing's going to change if you don't speak up and do it. So I, you know, here, here's what we do on the punk rock classrooms podcast, Dave. I thank you so much for talking to us about assessment because you know, everybody loves to talk about assessment and data. <laughs> I appreciate that, but here's what we do. It wouldn't be the punk rock classrooms podcast. If we didn't ask you, what have you been listening to, right? You got this Kenny Chesney look about you and you talked about it earlier. So can you tell, yeah, tell, yeah, us, yeah. tell us a little bit, what, do you, what are you listening to? It doesn't, man, punk, punk rock or not, what, what's, been, what's been in your ears? What have you been listening to? Well, I, I am a huge Kenny fan, so I will take that and run to it. But actually, Tim McGraw actually did just drop an album uh, nine, 10 days ago now. So that has been on repeat and I'm a huge podcast listener. So I listen to you guys and I listen to nice. any podcast I can, I can download and throw on my what's, phone. So. What's your favorite non-education podcast? What's your favorite non-education Oh, Simon podcast? Sinek. Uh, the Simon okay. Sinek, what's yeah. it called? Optimism or a dose of optimism. So good. That's good. Mike, what have you been listening to, man? Well, I actually, Josh, finally put some other records. On play. <laughs> I, haven't been, I haven't been listening to the same one that's been for the past week or so. Um, so this morning on my run, I listened to... Uh, Let's talk more rock by Propagandi. Oh, that's a that's a classic. That's a, it is that's, a classic. That's a good one. Uh, I think for me, uh, it was my pick of the week this week, and I'm going to stick with it because that's been my jam. Is uh, the tuning album uh, has been really good. Some good melodic hardcore with some some good slow breakdowns in it. So I'm I'm a nice. big fan of that one. So the new tuning album is really good. So I enjoy that. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for being on. Mike and I really appreciate it. Uh, where can the folks find you on the interwebs? Where where can they find all things Dave Schmidow? Yeah, if they can figure out how to spell my last name, they'll find me anywhere because I'm just at Dave Schmidow on all the things. So last name is S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U. It's at Dave Schmidow on Instagram, Twitter. Um, I've got a website that's schmidow.net. Um, literally just type in Schmidow and the SEO will take you where you need to go. All right. And what's, the name of your, what's your name of your new book that's out? Making Assessment Work for Educators Who Hate Data But Love Kids. All right. Awesome. Well, um, Josh, where can you find us? Yeah, you can find us at Punk Classrooms. That's uh, both Instagram and Twitter for each of us. So you can find at Punk Classrooms. You can find me at Josh R. Buckley. You can find Mike at EduChef Earnshaw. Uh, and, and you can find all of our shows on Spotify and, and iTunes and all that good stuff. You can find us on the internet at punkrockclassrooms.com where we've got blogs and all that good stuff. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. David, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, and Mike and I, you. we're going to see you at the, at the show. show.